All right, today we're talking self-storage. Yep, let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott. So obviously in the opening tease for today's episode, the opening hook was a little bit of a play on the old storage wars, right? If any of you ever watched that TV show, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know if it's still on. It was that one character that they were doing the auctions and they went one character up and going, yep, yep. So have a little fun with that one. So all joking aside, today we're going to have a wonderful conversation with somebody who, a coaching client of mine, somebody who, you know, we worked together for a better part of close to, geez, I think it was a better part of a year, and helped him flesh out his business, helped him raise some capital, helped him move forward with his, you know, apartment building acquisitions, but also just on the starting of his self-storage acquisitions as well. Plus also we did a couple webinars together. We did some educational materials for the Raising Capital Academy members talking about um, analyzing properties. Like Ruben Ugarte is one of the most diligent people that I know of putting together investment spreadsheets and analyzing what-if scenarios and using Excel-based spreadsheets. He was just phenomenal on how we do it. Like, like, it was just like, he was first walking me through his spreadsheets and I'm just going, holy moly, we need to share this with more people. And so we did some webinars with um, the Raising Capital Academy members on teaching them about advanced analysis, in essence. And I think they coined it at the time, analyzing uh, real estate investments like an engineer, because that's what Ruben is. And Ruben has that diligence and that crossing every T and dotting every I. He just analyzes properties till Sunday. I guess that's the old way of saying it. But here's the cool thing I would say about Ruben is sometimes when people are extremely good analyzers of properties, sometimes they get stuck in the analysis. You know, remember, at the end of the day, you still need to shoot the puck and you still need to take action in order to move forward to acquire a property. You can have the best spreadsheets in the world. You can analyze properties until the cows come home, until you're blue in the face with spreadsheet after spreadsheet. But if you actually don't write an offer, if you don't actually move forward, if you don't shoot the puck, nothing happens. And I would say, Ruben, is one of those rare combinations where he talks about, he talks the talk, he analyzes the numbers left, right, and center, and he also implements and executes with extreme velocity. So well done, Ruben. In this episode, you guys are going to thoroughly enjoy this one. This one is, a, you know, I, I would call this one probably an introduction to self-storage. You know, we could go in depth, we can go so much further deeper into this, but in some of, you know, I have to be mindful of the audience, have to be mindful of the people listening to my podcast, is some of the people, this might be a first introduction to the whole world of self-storage, and maybe, or even into multifamily, maybe even you just need to have those steps forward learning from people that have been there, done that before you. And that's one of the things I wanted to have with Ruben. You know, I wanted to just share some of the insights. As a matter of fact, between you, me, and the fence post here, I wanted to learn some of this myself. I have not invested in a self-storage unit yet. But I'll tell you what, 
I think I use the term when I'm having this conversation as Ruben, please just take my money here. Like some of the numbers that we're going to walk through is in some cases, guys, if you're struggling for cash flow, you're struggling for an opportunity to get some really good, solid cash flow, you're going to be just blown away and very pleasantly surprised by the numbers. But don't let that fool you. There is an awful lot of work there. You have to be an amazing operator of the business. You have to be an amazing detail-orientated person to be able to buy a self-storage unit to implement the systems, and you have to have the discipline to just keep going forward with it. If you don't have that attention to detail in your operation, that could seriously fail. Okay, so we could go on and on, but I wanted to uh, just kind of set the opening context here. We're going to be talking self-storage. We're going to be talking about taking action and jumping into multifamily. And the one thing I'm going to save this for the end. I have some insights that I want to share at the end of this podcast as well. But before we get into it, Ruben, I just wanted to thank you once again for sharing all your insights, all your inspiration, and all your knowledge. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Ruben Ugarte. Ruben Ugarte, how are you, my friend? How are things, Ruben? I'm doing fantastic, Russell. Fantastic. Great. Yes. Well, Thank you. Ruben, I've got a very long and in-depth list of questions and that I'm going to rake you over the coals and grill you on here. And I'm going to start with the most important question. How's Mary Lou doing and how are the kids doing? She's doing great and the kids as well. And uh, it's interesting because my son just got a, a puppy, a golden retriever, three months old, and she goes there to help him because he has to do other things. And she is loving that little dog. His name is Remy. <laughs> so Remy is coming tonight to stay in here with us. So that's the big change in the family, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have a, a brand new a grand fur baby, if you will, yes. right? So that's, yes. that would be the most important conversation that we're about to have. So, so Ruben, it... <laughs> um, it just warms my heart to see you. It's been far too long since we've had an opportunity to have a conversation. And I saw this presentation that you had put together for a meetup group. And I just said, oh, that's awesome. I just need to get an update from Ruben on how he's doing and how he's performing on his project. So I said, why don't we have a conversation on the podcast? And so I just wanted to just thank you for being part of the podcast here today. And I know I've introduced you to the Raising Capital Academy members, geez, probably a couple years ago now where you did that amazing presentation on, uh, you know, buying like an engineer and how you analyze properties. And yeah. you shared a, a project there where you added, was it two units? It was two units to a 17-unit building, wasn't it? Or was it one? We added one in the uh, in the basement, a brand new unit in the basement. Yeah. And then we walked through the numbers, walked through how you analyzed it. And, how, how's, and that's in Sarnia. How's that property performing for you? Oh, man, you, I mean, Sarnia is crazy, man. The way the prices are going in Sarnia, the cap rates are shrinking. And in fact, I mean, we sold one of the buildings, not that one. I mean, we sold the 22 unit that, that I did also a case study way back because the opportunity presented itself. And talking about self-storage, we are moving capital, you know, from the profit of this building to self-storage. So that's how we're doing because the cap rates in apartment buildings are very, very low. We just did that. But that building that I did the presentation to the academy, I would say it has increased in price at least maybe 800 to a million. 
in price, right? Oh. In value. Hang but, on, but hang it, on, hang yeah. on, hang on, hang on. We got to get an applause for that one, right? Yes, well done. <laughs> a nice reserved, reserved clap. Yes, well yeah. done. Well done, Ruben. Thank, yes. Thank, thank <laughs> and, you. Um, and I imagine your investment partners are quite happy about that little return that they had and putting their trust in you and some of those projects. Yeah, they are. In fact, this week we had the, uh, what we call the AGM, where we got in Zoom and I gave him some numbers and an update on the market in Sarnia. I mean, we never expected, really. I mean, my numbers were conservative back then, right, when I did that presentation. But I mean, the numbers have exceeded the actual numbers because the market went really, I don't know what it is exactly, right? But a lot of people are looking for this building. So the prices are going up pretty fast. That's, yeah, so it's a benefit, nice. right? Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Now, you don't live out in Ontario, do you? You don't live in Sarnia, do you? Where do you reside at the moment? I live in North Vancouver in BC, a uh, few miles away from the property. <laughs> yeah, just a few miles from the airport to take a four-hour yes. plane ride away, yes. So yes. you're like one of the only people that I know going from Western Canada out to Eastern Canada to invest, and you're you're taking all them good properties out in Eastern Canada away from those investors out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Champlain is one of those stories. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into self-storage here today. This is an asset class that has a lot of appeal to a lot of people. And we're going to dive into your story about how you got into self-storage. But speaking of your story, do you mind if we take just a little bit of a, a step back? Because I would imagine most of the people on my podcast probably have not heard of the name uh, Ruben Ugarte. And, uh, who you are, where you're from, what you're about. Because that accent, that, that isn't North Vancouver, is it, Ruben? No, it's not. We came from Honduras in uh, Central America in 2004, in August 2004, because of different reasons. Uh, but we landed in North Vancouver because there was a brother from my wife. Uh, my wife's brother was here. So well, we stayed here and we love it. And now, you know, the kids are grown up. They live in downtown Vancouver. And uh, so I came in here, you know, you know, searching for a job and uh, a better future. And uh, 17 years later, I can say that it was really worth it, the entire journey. And it was not easy, but it is worth it as we are right now. I mean, at this moment. Yeah, I would imagine things are a lot different in Canada than they were in the Honduras when you when you're oh. there. It's probably has it got better or worse, do you think, down there since you've left? I would say it's worse. I went there a couple of months ago to visit my mom. And uh, no, it's not a place for us anymore, sadly. But, you know, it is, I mean, how it is, right? I mean, in different countries. Yeah. But yeah, I would not change the journey, right, uh, that we've been through, you know, at the moment. Yeah. And what by trade? Uh, you're, you're an engineer by trade. Are you still in the field of engineering and project management? Yeah, yeah. I am a mechanical engineer and industrial also. I'm doing uh, on, I would say on a part-time basis, contracting, I doing uh, audits for accreditation agencies, one in the U.S. and one in uh, in Canada. So they, they hire me on a contract basis and um, I travel to the city where it is. I mean, I haven't been traveling too much, but doing everything online the past couple of years. Uh, but we're going to start traveling now. So I, I enjoy it. I keep up on the engineering field, but the real estate part it's actually, you know, it's the way we're growing is taking yeah. more. So I got to balance now how many audits I can take uh, yeah. once a month, maybe, because it's, yeah, it's getting to it. 
Are you going to get close to potentially um, leaving the mechanical engineering side of things? Are you getting close to the execution of that plan that we talked about a few years ago? I think so. Yeah. I keep doing it. Ruben, I know you how tight you are with the numbers and the tolerances, and you have it exactly <laughs> down to the penny, probably. <laughs> and you're just being humble of saying you think so. You're going, at the current run rate, Russ, it should be in 17.2 months away from now. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'm teasing you, Ruben. I'm I like teasing that. you. <laughs> but that's awesome. That's congratulations. So ballpark numbers, if you wouldn't mind. Portfolio of... Singles, multis, self-storage, all the things in, in asset, like in a dollar amount. What kind of ballpark do you think your portfolio would be at now for, for dollar amount? I haven't done it recently, but I, I can tell you currently before we close on that 22 unit, let's say as of today, right? Uh, because we're going to close on November 15th. The story will be different. But right now it's 52 units in apartment buildings and 159 units in self-storage on the control. And um, what you told me at that time, they called revenue units. Uh, yes, it's 159 revenue units in self-storage. Wow. So 150 and 52. So we're, we're talking like 210 revenue units, give yeah. or take? Yeah, wow. we are there. Yes, about 200 and, and a bit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And when you first came to Canada, how many pieces of real estate did you have at that time? Just the house that we had in Honduras. Yeah. Okay, not, right. In Canada, nothing. And some of this growth, this this meteor, you've actually grown it fairly substantial. It's been within the last, you know, within five years, has it not, Ruben? Or? In fact, yeah, because we bought that house in Port Coquitlam in 2007, but we stayed with that house for a few years until we sold it. So the journey really started in 2015. I mean, with this other commercial, when we went to Ontario the first time and six years, I would say. And wow. if you ask me about portfolio, I would say that it's over, uh, I don't know, maybe five, maybe six million portfolio yeah. value. I mean, yeah. give, a, give or take. Difficult to kind of assert at this moment because the prices are changing and Champlain is changing. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we focus on cash flow, right? Basically. Yeah, so yeah. realistically, to it's been six years, and you've added those portfolio. And and for those of you, if you're listening, you know I might date both of Ruben and I. Ruben and I are of similar vintage of age. So what? When did you really kind of start? At what age did you kind of start, Ruben? How old were you in 2015 when you kind of started the, this journey? Oh. 55. 55. So you started this real journey at 55, right? So guys, if any of you are listening and you're saying, well, oh, I'm too old to start and I can't, you know, I can't do that. You're looking at a couple people here that, you know what, sometimes it's okay to start later in life because you have so much more experience and the runway gets a little shorter, doesn't it, Ruben? Oh, the urgency yeah. <laughs> starts cranking up a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. So let's pivot here. Let's have a, a good conversation. So you were buying, you had the place in Port Coquitlam, you had a few different places. Did you go, you like one had one, it was one townhouse, if I was correct. And then you went right into multifamily, did you not? Yes. W what happened is, uh, you know, the story is, is kind of short from REAG members and another friend, they, they started talking about Sarnia, that they buying cheap houses and that kind of thing and Windsor. So we, we had a couple of friends there. So we took a quick trip one week. We went through several small houses, yes, small detached houses. And back then they were about $80,000. I just didn't like the idea. These, these were old houses. So I returned actually back a few months later and I met with a commercial realtor. 
And I just pitched the idea and say, you know, do you have any any small multifamily? I didn't know anything about multifamily, really. And so he gave me next week, I mean, the following week of that, he gave me that sixplex that he was listed. Uh, nobody wanted to buy it. It was for 350000 and cash flowing. I did the numbers and said, wow, this is okay. So that's how it was. So we found the investor in the React group. So we went from there, you know, from that one to 22 and then many trips to Sarnia. I was going almost every couple of months or maybe less. I was, you know, flying from here to Detroit, from here to London. I was going different routes. We have fine-tuned that now, (laughs) but yeah, so I had to be there many times. Yeah. Yeah. So you literally just jumped right into the commercial space in in many respects, right? Yes. Into a small multi, which then went into a larger multi, and then you went into another multi, and then you found the the whole wonderful world of commercial about being able to find and convert, you know, add another unit to it, add, you know, raise up the income on the properties, refinance, new cap rates, all that kind of wonderful stuff. And uh, so what made you transition into self-storage? I was thinking, I mean, when we got to the uh, that 17-unit building, I mean, there are different challenges right, in apartment buildings. I was thinking about self-storage for, I mean, for some reason, like you say, it's attractive. And then I, I don't know if this is thing of the universe or the law of attraction. And then the realtor called me one day and he said, well, there's this lady that wants to retire and uh, she wants to sell the self-storage. Do you want to take a look at it? I said, okay, yeah. So... He sent me the numbers. He negotiated the whole thing. I mean, he's a great realtor. So he negotiated the whole thing. And so then I went to the same investors that own the six plex and the 22 unit and said, hey, why don't we add, you know, self-storage in here? At the same time, I didn't know anything about self-storage, right? In terms of managing the self-storage. So it was a very, very quick learning by the time we got into the inspection closing. And then the pandemic hit. Actually, we closed 15 days before the lockdowns. So I managed to make it to Sarnia and put in place the software and all of that. But then I couldn't travel for a few months after that because it was lockdown. But now the self-storage was under control, right? <laughs> so we had to move forward, right? We had about 70 clients that we inherit from the previous owner and... So we had to do everything very quick, really very quick. In a couple of months, we had to do credit card, software, connect with everyone to pay credit because she was actually handling every transaction in a notebook. I actually saw the notebook and I said, this is not the way that we're going to manage self-storage in a, in a notebook. So it had to be something else. So that's why we got into the software. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was. Wow. So I would imagine, now, here's the thing. I'm very familiar with the concept and the theory of a lot of these things, but I have never owned a self-storage unit, so I'm not going to sit here and profess that I know everything about it. But I would imagine that the self-storage world would operate and the analysis would be fairly similar to almost like um, a multifamily type of a residential commercial financing based upon cap rates, based upon incomes, based upon stuff like that. But let me hear from you. You know, first of all, why self-storage? And then we're going to talk about some of the similarities and some of the differences. So why self-storage? Did you want to pivot to that? Okay, we found out, I mean, from the theory, I kind of read and knew that it was easier, it had uh, less number of problems because you don't have tenants, 
you have clients that put their stuff in there, but you don't have a tenant. So there is no tenancy act. There is no tribunal and that kind of thing. So for that, that's a big, big advantage. But then when you look at the numbers and I run the numbers, the expense ratio that the self-storage is producing is way low. I mean, we are operating the buildings, just to give an example, right, on the buildings, if we're going to jump into that, the expense ratio, the expense to income ratio is about 55, 60. Sometimes there are months in those buildings that we operate about 70% expense ratio. That's pretty high. You know, if you do a unit turnover and all of that, in self-storage, both of those facilities are operating about 37%, 38%. Wow. So when you see the difference, right? I mean, it goes right to the profit line. I mean, when you don't have that much expense, I can explain a little bit later why, but that's what kind of when I saw the numbers and I and I got the, you know, the price and all of that, I just said, this is, I mean, we just have to learn it, how to manage it correctly and improve it. Yeah. And so you you had no idea about any of this kind of stuff, did you? How did you learn it? Like, what were some of the steps you took? Like you had, obviously you had some residential multifamily properties under your belt. So you kind of understand how the, the financing worked. You understand how to analyze the properties. You understand about the adding the value, the cap rates, the expense ratios. You understood a lot of that. But what was kind of the pivots you had to make in your education and your knowledge to pivot over to self-storage? I read, I would say read material. I got in touch with the Canadian. There's a, there's a very strong association called the Canadian Self-Storage Association. They help us a lot. I mean, they are very, very open in that. So I participated in a couple of meetings, but basically I just had to say, we got to find a software. So I started looking around, you know, what kind of software runs these facilities, but I never actually talked to one person that will own a self-storage to kind of guide me through that. It was a little bit of a trial and error and how to find out, you know, how to connect this software with Moneris so people can do credit card. That was the main thing because you got to put this thing online very quick. If not, you know, then it's not going to be able to rent. But yeah, I mean, reading uh, material, a mentor of mine gave me also a good material that I read. And so that's how it was, I guess. It, and, and it had to happen. It happened actually in about two to three months, just before closing, right? Because we, we had to be ready. We already had it on their contract, you know, closing and everything. I mean, so, yeah. 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 So you 100% subscribe to the let's learn by doing a deal. Uh, I would say, I mean, after doing those buildings, I was not, I would say, afraid of getting into a new class of asset because I would say there could not be any bigger problems than what we had in the apartment buildings. Well, especially, sorry to say this, Ontario investors, your landlord and tenant rules out in your province are... (laughs) or draconian in in its respect. And I'm sorry to say, I'm just being honest with what I've seen. And Ruben, you would have firsthand knowledge of that as well about, but don't get me wrong, I'm very envious of those big giant appreciation numbers you guys have seen at the same time over the last decade too, out in Ontario at the same time. So, okay. So self-storage, you've pivoted over to that. What are some of the challenges with self-storage? Okay. I think the, uh, one of the challenges is financing. Hmm. because a lot of the lenders and then and say the big lenders, they really like apartment buildings, but they don't like too much the self-storage. And when they do the analysis on the self-storage, they actually cover the risk, you know, pretty, I would say pretty big in the sense that 
they will put a high cap rate. I mean, they will not go under 7%, which makes the value, you know, comes down and they will not go over 65% loan to value. So we need to put more money, down payment and then closing costs in a self storage than in an apartment building. But we just found a, a new lender is a credit union in Sarnia that they love self storage and they really are going to help us. They offer us already for the new project, you know, kind of a, a more than 65% actually. So that's, I would say that's one of the challenges. I think the other challenge is how to control the entrance of, uh, you know, in and out of the people. They're all kind of systems, automatic systems. They're a little bit expensive, right? An electric motor, a fob, different things like that. So we, we don't have that yet in our facilities. We are using a, I'm not going to, a primitive method, but it's actually a mechanical method. They get a key, they get a code to a logbox, and on the logbox, they find a key. I mean, that's... Well, it works. It, it works. works. <laughs> it works. And then everyone keeps the key. When they move out, they drop the key in there. So the, that's, another, I would say, another challenge. But I think in different, er- depending on the area, one of the main challenges is land. Because the cell storage actually needs land, extra land. There is no point of, of buying a cell storage that doesn't have any land to grow. Because, you know, like in the uh, in the apartment buildings, there's not much, you know, you can increase the rents and all of that, but it's not as in the buildings, right? Because it's small rents. So the way to increase the value is to add one more building or portables. I mean, they, they are very nice portable units that you can add. So land, I always recommend that if somebody asks me, I say, well, you know, you need to find a place where you, you have some extra land, yeah. one acre or, or two, right? Yeah. To put more buildings. Yeah or underutilized footprint of the units that are currently in place, something that you can add more storage units to the property. Cause that's where I would imagine that's where the big cherry on top is for this asset class. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can subdivide depending on the size of the units. I was looking at a self storage actually in Alberta that when I look at the drawings, I said, this is very clear. I mean, they could add more units by just putting a, a partition here, here, and right there, you increase the income when you add more units. That's one way of doing it, depending on the building, right? On the type of the, uh, or the configuration of the building. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I remember in one of our conversations, I had asked you the question about, um, and you had just this Absolutely. wonderful, yeah, and you had this wonderful um, methodology that you had learned about how to determine kind of the um, demand for rental units in a certain area. And then the question I'd asked you was, um, how do you know that there's a demand for these units that you're buying in Wyoming, Ontario, in, in Sarnia, in Champlain? How do you know that there's a demand? And you had, there was a wonderful formula that you kind of applied. Do you mind walking everybody through that? Yeah, there's actually two ways to calculate demand. One way is, well, you get this, the facility where it is. I mean, and Google Earth now is a very good friend for that. So we have to kind of draw a circle, which is about, I would say, 15, 20 minute drive. That might be maybe 10K, 15K around the facility. And then we find all the competitors that are inside that circle. And from the Google Earth, we can come down and measure the buildings. Everyone does it like that, right? So you come from the top and you see your competitor, how many square footage they have. And so make a little table and say, okay, well, competitor number one has, you know, 20,000 square feet, right? Just to be an example, competitor two. So we find the number of square footage installed in the area. 
So that's the first step. So we need to find that, and that has to be with the drawing, I mean, with the Google Earth. Once we know the square footage, then I go to uh, different places, right, uh, to find out how many houses and how many people live in that same radius. And like Canada Post, I learned that through somebody else, but Canada Post has a nice tool. It tells you how many houses, how many apartments, how many single family houses, how many businesses are in a certain postal code. So once I have that, you know, once I have, okay, well, I'll give you an example. I say we got 20,000 people, right, in the area, just everyone living in there. But they are, I would say, uh, what I say, it's about, in 20,000 people come out an average of about two people per house. So it's about 10,000 houses, just to give you a number, right, round it off. So now we got 10,000 houses, 20,000 people. So now we have to test because in Canada, uh, there is a number that, uh, like the appraisers, they use that number because they they told me that. They use that everyone in Canada will need about between four and five square feet per person for storage. Okay. Outside storage, outside of home storage. Outside home, yes. Yes. Outside home. Yeah. So in the U.S., it's actually higher. There are some places that they need eight, nine, and 10, right? Oh, they they collect more junk, maybe. (laughs) Right. So the first calculation is, okay, I got 20,000 people. Let's say I'm going to use five. Okay, so the demand, theoretically demand, is going to be 100,000 square feet, right? But I, I find that the competitors, or sometimes including ours, we have only 50,000 square feet installed. So right there, it gives you a deficit of square footage just on the people, right? But then they taught us, I mean, uh, in another training, they taught us to use the number of houses. And so now you go back to the number of houses, and you say, okay, 10,000 houses. So what they use is 10%. So you say, okay, so 10,000 houses will rent 10% units, right? So that right there, you say, oh, so now you need 1,000 units. So <laughs> and, and so far, have those ratios held true for... for oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, in Champlain. Yes, in Champlain and in Wyoming. And so what happened is now we got 1,000 units, right? So I said, well, what does that equate to in uh, square footage? So they use another number. They say, well, it's an average of 130 square feet per unit. Okay, so now you need 130,000 square feet on the number of houses. Yeah. Okay, so right there, you know, you have only 50,000 square feet installed. Okay, so now you got an unknown in there because you will need between 50 to 70,000 square feet of demand that is not satisfied. Wow. You have a a serious supply demand issue and you have a serious supply with not enough demand. So. Correct. Correct. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Woo. You're bringing some fire, Ruben. (laughs) Holy moly. Hang on a sec. Hang on. And when you bring the fire, a bomb gets dropped. I like that. (laughs) So really, so, so guys, uh, I know Ruben went really quick and, you know, my sixth grade Saskatchewan education here, I I do have grade 12. I took grade six twice. (laughs) So really what you really do is you do a high level diligence on where you're going to acquire an asset. You kind of draw a radius around it. You figure out how many people, how many houses, you apply a couple factors, and then you apply that to how many square feet or units are in that area to see if it's undersupplied or oversupplied. Is that a simple way of putting it? Yeah, correct. I mean, just to give you an idea in Champlain, when we did that, 
uh, with the number of people because you can say, well, you know, that area has only about 30,000 people. So the calculations gave us on the installation, all of that gave us, before we opened that facility, gave us that there was about 800 units deficit, give or take, right? About 800 units. We were opening only 56. I said, well, we're going to rent this in about a year. That was my calculation. So actually it got rented in six months. Wow. Okay. So what happened? I said, well, people were waiting for another, because the other facilities, that's another way that, you know, we do it. We call the other facilities and they say, no, we don't have any units available. So if a facility doesn't have a unit unit available, they say, I want a 10 by 10 and they don't have it. It means that they are running a very high occupancy, which means there's a need to expand because yep. people are looking for these units. So there wow. are different criteria that we throw into the mix to say, well, comfortable, we can put, like, I'm confident that in Champlain, we can put another 100 units and we are not going to dent the demand in that area. Yeah, you'll probably have those rented in six, seven months or, yep. or less, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And you, so, you ended up buying that property out of foreclosure, was it not? I believe that was, was yes, that correct? Yes, yeah. it was a foreclosure. Hey everyone, sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to take a quick pause in today's show to share with you a real estate investing and financing tip that has helped many investors scale up their portfolio. Data-driven decisions and having a roadmap are two of the most important fundamentals for real estate investing success. When it comes to financing income properties, it is critical to take a strategic approach versus a traditional transactional approach to financing. A transactional approach is when your lender or broker just speaks to you about the deal at hand versus sitting down and helping you with your plans of financing and putting a roadmap together for your next properties. Do you have the critical answers to start, grow, and scale your portfolios? Answers to some key questions such as, where will the money come from to keep acquiring your properties? How do you structure your deal strategically while not painting yourself into a corner with future financing? And how to proactively manage your borrowing power? These are just a few of the key questions you need answers. If you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to structure your financing strategically, I suggest you speak with one of the team members at Streetwise Mortgages. They have helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios and also get into the game of real estate investing. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise Mortgages. Best of all, on top of the financing roadmap, you'll receive a summary report on the top 18 Ontario markets. Plus, you'll receive a comprehensive deep dive research report on the market of your choice of the top 18. I'm currently looking at one of these reports right now and they are comprehensive and deep data-driven decision materials for you to make the right decision. I highly recommend you take a look at this if you are interested in starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing portfolio. To book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That's info at streetwisemortgages.com. There will also be a link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. How does somebody find one of these? First of all, is it primarily just through uh, exclusive through agents or how does somebody, and, I'm at, and as we all know, everybody sits there going, yeah, I want to buy a self-storage, but there's not a lot of these available, to be honest. How does somebody locate a self-storage property for sale? Well, we use the realtor, like in Sarnia, where, where he operates, he can find, and he actually is knocking on doors 
And the next project that we are doing right now, which is in Petrolia, it was obtained like that. See, we have one facility under contract right now. That, that's why we're raising capital to, to close. It's a 70-unit facility, but it's under contract, right? We haven't removed all the conditions, but we are in there. But that one was found because the realtor, our realtor kind of talked to that guy for close to a year until he decided, okay, I'll sell it. If anything goes into the MLS, it goes pretty fast. I mean, I, I've been through the MLS and it goes pretty fast. The one in Champlain, you know, you can say luck is when it's your prepare, right? Because I do that, you know, I go through the MLS and realtor.ca and Kijiji and all of that. So I was in Kijiji, actually. That property was in Kijiji. It popped out when I was searching for self-storage. And it was just a little ad that it says, you know, property for sale and the two little buildings, those two red buildings, they were in the picture, right? And so what is this? Why is these two buildings in the middle of nowhere? I mean, I knew that those two buildings right there were worth it about close to 300000 is this one of them here, Ruben? Yeah. I put a picture yeah, up here. One. This is, uh, yeah, yeah, so nice unit, lots of space and wonderful things like that there. So yeah, it's the old fashioned way, if you will. It's relationship and it's good yeah. old fashioned digging, really, to yeah. uncover these. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've uncovered one and you've done it and you've done the, the analysis that you've talked about. And there seems like there's a demand for this. And so you're interested in acquiring a self-storage unit. What's the part of the process you do next? Do you then take it to a qualified mortgage broker to give you a financing opinion or do you write an offer? Walk us through a little bit of the process there, please. I will write an offer. Like, uh, I'll write an offer and I do the analysis later. Yeah, shoot first, figure out after, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, I put enough number of days that will allow me to make decisions to find a lender and, you know, all of that. Like in the one in... In Champlain, I tell you, I was on the phone with the guy that I was the caretaker because I asked him, I said, show me the property over the WhatsApp. I just want to see the unit. So he did that favor for me right before I flew there because I was interested. And he was interested at that case because he was walking around with me, right? I said, hey, this is the unit. So I was kind of on his phone. I was looking at the, and I was recording it on my computer So I was looking at the units. There was a lot of junk, actually, in those units for many, many years. It was abandoned. This place was actually abandoned for about 10 years. And so when he was walking, I said, okay, well, and he said, hey, there's someone in here. I got to go and talk to them. They are interested in the place. So he puts his phone in his pocket. And for whatever reason, he doesn't disconnect the phone, right? And he starts walking with the other people. And I just, I just said, I'm just going to keep listening, right? And the guy started asking the same question, hey, this and that and that. And the other guy was telling the other guy, say, you know, this place, you know, looks good. And, you know, we can put it to work. They had another storage about half an hour from there. I said, okay, this thing is going to go now. So I, I hung up, I called the realtor and said, I need to put an offer now, today, right? <laughs> so that's how it was, right? I mean, uh, he never knew about that, but uh, probably they would buy it. Wow. A little unauthorized surveillance that was going on there. (laughs) A little reconnaissance mission. (laughs) What a cool story. That's very cool. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, I can tell it now. I can tell the story now, but it was, but yeah, I, I, at that moment, I think they were ready to buy, right? That's uh, so. Okay. So in your world, you write an offer first, right? Offer first, figure it out. So, okay. So you got the offer first. What kind of, um, 
Is it on a traditional purchase and sale agreement? Is it more of a commercial agreement? What kind of um, terms do you typically put in it? And then what's the next step in the process after that? It's a commercial. I normally will not do it myself. I mean, if the realtor can do a, a dual agency, I do it in Ontario, they can still do it. I don't mind, but I put my terms and normally it's the financing, the inspection. I mean, my visit is one of the conditions. So I put that you know, me or someone, my representative will visit the units and we'll decide if we like it or not. I mean, just like that is is my condition besides the inspector. And then we get, you know, basically those three are the main ones that will give us a green light to proceed or not proceed. Right. And then if it's an inspector, I hire, now I got a guy that can inspect these buildings. This is a different type of inspection. This is not a, a home inspection, right? It's a, it's a, someone that needs to know about these buildings, yep. uh, the type of buildings, right? And what are the things that can go wrong with these buildings? So yeah, now we have that inspector in Ontario yeah. to do and, that. And then imagine, so you get the offer, you have the conditions. I would imagine part of that's to get the financials and get all that, all, you compile all the financials up. Yeah. And then you approach, what kind of lenders do this? Are they the typical kind of lenders or are they tier two? Is it private lending? What kind of lenders do you approach then? Well, in Wyoming, in Plimpton, Wyoming, the first one that we got, CIBC, the financing on that, because we already had the other buildings with them. But in Champlain, that was part of the story because Champlain was, it was a foreclosure, but it was a mortgage company that owned that property. And they just wanted to get rid of because they were trying to sell for, I don't know, about three years. And so they gave us 85% loan to value on that mortgage, but only for three years. So that's the strategy that we are following. We had to refinance Champlain in three years, in well, less than yeah. three years, in 2023. And for this one in Petrolia, then is this credit union called uh, Libro. They like the self-storage industry. So they are different. I mean, the lenders, RBC has been interested as well. But we haven't done any self-storage with RBC, but it's still an option. Yeah. Right? Are you typically going through a broker or are you doing most of it direct to the bank yourself? I do it direct. Yeah. I do all of these things direct with the uh, with the lender. Yeah. yeah. And I would imagine there are brokers that do that kind of stuff in, in the oh, commercial yeah. in that world. But you've already got the experience and you know, you probably have all the financing packages and everything already done and you just kind of know the dance, if you will, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean yeah. this we still have to go through all the documents that they require, you know, the appraisal, the and environmental if, if it's needed, all the net worth statements and yep. that kind of thing. It's the same. I mean, we have to just repeat it. I mean, with the lender. Yeah. So in the case that in the Champlain property that you bought, the current owner, which was the bank, gave you some pretty juicy, essentially self-financing to do that. Now yeah. you have a, a little bit, you have two years, is it two years left in, in that or yeah. one year? Yes. Two years left, yes. But it sounds yeah. like you've got it turned around and you've got it operating really good. It might be really quite easy to, to turn there. But but by and large, as you said, most lenders will only go up to like 65% loan to values, give or take. Yeah. And yeah. in anyone that comes into refinancing Champlain, to because Westboro is not interested, they got a different... So they told me that, okay, well, in three years, you know, you need to bring in someone else so they can move away. But anyone that comes into that one will be around 65%. So that's what is planned in the analysis, that that's what we're going to get. But it's still the value of Champlain compared to what we purchased, it's going to be a lot higher. 
Yeah. So you really need to have, you know, you need to have the income up on those properties by the time that financing comes and you need to have the numbers running pretty good by then. Yes. And yeah. the land also has a value. See, that one is a, another peculiar thing on this one, right? Yeah. It came with 22.8 acres of land. So okay. it's a big piece of land. I can tell you that. So you got a big unused piece of land there that you can actually start pouring some foundations and some, and start building more units on it, can you not? Oh, yeah. We are not using, I think, maybe about two and a half acres at this moment where, where it's sitting. So there's a you know, and the land has value because this is industrial commercial land in a small town. So the every acre in that land has a separate value from the building, which in the purchase was not not even accounted for. So did I hear you correctly? You're you're only using like two and a half acres and you got two hundred and forty acres? No, 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 20, 20, oh, 22, <laughs> yeah, about 22 acres. I mean, there's a creek in there. Yeah. Okay. So you have 22 acres and you're only using the two, about two and a half, give or take. Yes. Wow. Yes. And what did you buy that one for again? Refresh my memory. We bought it for 415000 <laughs> $415,000. That was the final purchase price, yes. And the lender financed 85% of it, essentially gave you 85% loan-to-value on it. And what is that unit now? You said you, you filled it. Like when you bought it, obviously, because it was vacant and there was only only thing in there was probably ghosts and rabbits, if you will. <laughs> What's the gross rental on that property now, Ruben? At the moment, we are reaching close to 8000 a month. So that's, uh, I think that property is going to reach about ninety five, maybe 100000 in the next 12 months without expanding yeah. right, with what it is in there. So that's how we're going to be reaching now. So with no expansion, you are potentially getting, in four years of gross rental income, you've got your entire purchase price covered. Yes. I know there's obviously there's expenses and there's lots yeah. of expenses, but you've just shared with us too that the self-storage is actually a more efficient expense operation as well, is it not? Yes. Champlain is operating at the moment about 37, the last calculation that I did uh, last month. So it's about in that range. I mean, yeah. it, it can change, but you know, when you factor insurance, property taxes, we have to pay all of that. And the property manager that we have there Expenses in maintenance are very, very low. There is no water. There is no toilets. There is no gas. There is only electricity to power the cameras and the lights. So that's why the utilities are kind of very low in comparison to the income, right? And that's basically, I mean, the biggest expense actually in one property like this is snow removal and landscaping Mm, because the property is so big that, I mean, it's not easy to negotiate. And Champlain also is a heavy snow falls. And so I can tell you that expense goes about somewhere between ten to 12000 a year. on ex- so, so it's actually the biggest expense than the rest of the expenses in a yearly basis. Yep. But we cannot operate with that. Yeah. So you've been operating for that property for over a year now? Is it over a year? Well, we uh, bought it in September, but our first client actually came in in November 15th. So we are approaching the one-year anniversary one year of, of our first client. Yeah, November 15th, I remember very clearly. That was the first client <laughs> that rented a, a 10 by 10. So, <laughs> Did you have yes. a little party? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did a little bit of celebration. So 
the run rate right now for gross is over eight grand a month, give or take. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What is your net kind of working out to? Like, what is your run rate for your net cash flow on that property? I will estimate that it will run about between two thousand to three thousand a month. Wow. About about that. I would say conservative, maybe two thousand. I mean, depending yeah. when the when some of the expenses come in, but. That's what we have two to three thousand. And so if you only had to put up fifteen percent, fifteen percent of four hundred and change is what sixty-five grand? How much did you have to put up up front? Okay. So we had to build a chain link fence, okay, which was pretty big. I mean, it was eleven hundred feet, linear feet. So that was a pretty expensive fence, but the city would not allow us to operate without the fence. And we had to repair some things in the buildings. We changed the roof, cut the grass, you know, all of that. We ended up putting about 175000 cash to close and to repair. The initial repairs, just to be able to get the permits, because we had to get the permits closed before we rented. Right. So we had to do environmental testing. We actually, in that one, we had to do phase one and phase two because there was a little bit of concern that it was some contamination, but there's nothing. It's clean because there's a neighbor, there's an industrial neighbor on the other side of the creek. So we had to do all of that before we got all the approvals. So overall, that's what we did. And now for expansion, we had to get more capital last year, not this year, actually, from private lenders in order to get, you know, to the next step, which is gravel and portables. Yeah. So you had to put up about 175 in cash to close. So if I'm just doing some quick math, so probably you put in like 130,000 in renos and fix-ups. And so yes. if it was for, what was the purchase price again? For, for 15. For 15 plus 130. So you're into it for, you know, what is that? Six, five, four, 15, 135, 580. So you're into it for around, just under 600. Uh, yes. As, a, as an acquisition cost of yes. things. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fat. So how did you, um, the hundred and some odd thousand dollars to close on, How did where did you come up with that at that time? Did you just look into the bank account and ask Mary Lou to write a check or how did that come about? Uh, something like that. It was a, <laughs> it was a, a line of credit that yeah. we have on this house. It was a step line of credit that we've been using. That has been kind of a, a rotating line of credit because we use it for the buildings and so it's, it has helped us to get this cash right when we need it. And then, you know, the property will pay the interest on that line of credit. Uh, it's factoring into the expenses. So we just move it to that. And uh, so it's been working. Eventually, when we do the refinance, we'll cancel that line of I mean, we'll cancel. I mean, we'll put the money back yeah. into the line of credit. Yeah. So, man, this deal is getting better all the time. It's essentially, it's 100% financed. And it's 100% financed and it's cash flowing. And once at your run rate now is two to three thousand dollars a month in cash flow. Yeah, it is. I mean, it will. Wow. I think it's reaching right now around that number, right? I mean, we've been changing because what happened is if you see the curve, and, and I show it on the meetup, the software shows the curve of growth and it goes from here is the hockey stick. It went like this, right? It's nice to see it the way it goes, but now it's kind of getting in the plateau because we don't have more units. We are planning to add uh, portables. Uh, I'm in the middle of getting a quote of uh, adding portables. This company in Ontario, they make uh, the same type of building, but they make it in twos, in 10 by 10. It's very nice. You lift it with a forklift. So we're going to get 
a few of those because we don't have any more units. We need to put one more building and people keep asking, right? You know, we don't have any 10 by 10s, for example, right at the moment. So the people send us an email, hey, you have a 10 by 10. I said, no, sadly we don't. So we need to add a few more portables kind of very quick because the winter is coming in a few weeks. So yeah, we have to do that. Okay. So, yes. wow, it's a nice, nice business to be in when people are phoning you for something. <laughs> and and, and you just, <laughs> yeah. So what is the expansion plan for this project? Cause I know you're the man with the plan and you got plans for everything and you've, you've got multi-phase plan out here. So the first phase is the, to get some portables, to just capture some revenue and some demand. What's the plan after that ribbon? Okay. The second phase, and we call it like that, actually, phase two yep. is adding two more buildings the buildings can run between 4,000. Uh, a good building is about 4,000 square feet. So adding two more buildings to add close to 60 more units in a building that, that is in a concrete pad. So that is the plan that we are joining with the one in Petrolia. We want to put it all in one roof. And also Petrolia has uh, room for expansion. So for another two buildings, another maybe another 50 units there. So yeah, so that is the first phase, but we are pitching to the township of Champlain to give us more space within the fence in a site plan amendment. So we are working right now, you know, with the township because we want to put four buildings actually inside the fence, even before going outside the fence, outside the three acres, we still can put four more buildings each building produces about 3,500. So it will produce close to another 15,000 a month on gross revenue if we put four more buildings inside the, the... And we have the space. The space is already there to put four more buildings. I just need the, <laughs> the township. Wow. Ruben, I, I'm just sitting there and I'm just going, these deals just keep getting better and better all the time. And honest to goodness, with just a handful of some really good self-storage, you literally have an entire retirement plan built out here in many respects, do you not? It could be. (laughs) Well, it it very well could be, could it not? Like if you're going from, so legitimately you're going from, I think, I believe it was like 152 storage units now. After you execute your plans of your phases, how many more units are you planning to add to the current portfolio? And also one you're about to close on as well. I would say we can add in the next two to three years, we can add another 200 or 300 units without going into more facilities. Just yeah. Petrolia and Champlain can accommodate, I would say, conservatively another 200 units. And it's a lot more efficient to add it to things that you already own as opposed to going and buying another self-storage facility, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. But because the demand is there, right? So, yeah, how much would it cost to put a, a 10 by 10 unit up in your, your best estimation for a cost to put up just one of those 10 by 10s? The uh, square footage, if we put it in a building, yeah. right? if we go for a full building with concrete pad and drainage and all of that, it's costing about $80 a square foot. That's kind of give or take. Prices are changing. But in Wyoming, we just added 3,600 square foot building. Yep. And it was about 80, about 85 a square foot complete. The okay. building, installation, side works and everything. Champlain might run around that. So depending on the size, right? Let's yeah. say a 4,000 square foot building will run for about maybe 240,000 maybe. Something okay. like that. 
So, okay, let's just hang on a sec. Yeah. So let's call it 240,000. How many units in there? It can go about 28, depending on the configuration, right? It could go maybe 30 units, 28 to 30 units. Okay, let's use round numbers. Let's use 30. What kind of rent can you get for that, for 30 units? Yeah. You can get about 3,500 to 3,800 a month on one building. Okay. So 3,800. So essentially you're getting just shy of $4,000 rent on a $240,000 acquisition in rough terms. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Ruben, (laughs) here, take my money, please. (laughs) Like those are fantastic numbers, by the way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the good thing is that even putting one more building, like for example, the one in Wyoming, it doesn't increase the expenses in the same proportion because the building is new. There is no maintenance, literally, right? The taxes, the property taxes will increase a little bit. The insurance will increase a little bit. But compared to the uh, new income that you can produce with with a new... That's what I was saying, right? That if you don't have extra land, it kind of doesn't make sense because that's where you get the uplift much better than in an apartment building because when you added the building you shoot up the income right like you can shoot up 30,000 more a year but the expenses are not going to go in the same proportion yeah. so that's the good thing of having extra land it just takes about a year about one year to get one building in place yeah and and I know for a fact there's an entire other line of questioning we can go down about the operation of it and the software you use and how you collect and the marketing and the signage and all that other kind of stuff. But suffice it to say, you've acquired some self-storage units, you're acquiring some more, and you have multi-phase plans to expand. Are you looking for some capital partners right now, Ruben? Uh, In fact, yes. At the moment, (laughs) we are, in order to close Petrolia, and expand Champlain because that's what, that's what I call it. And that's the way I'm presenting it. I'm saying this is one single project where we are targeting 900,000. So what we're going to do is we're going to sell equity out of the company that owns Champlain, which is going to be a good benefit because, you know, the diamond in the rough is actually that property in Champlain because with 22 acres, there could be other type of businesses in there that could be maybe in the future residential lots. I mean, the city is not allowing that yet, but you know, who knows, right? But what I'm saying is the potential for that piece of land is big. Petrolia yeah. is also good, but it's a smaller, uh, it's a smaller size. But when we put the two together under one umbrella, then the investors will benefit from this too. And then, then we can go to expansions and we can go probably to acquire another facility in another place. It, I mean, I don't know yet. So that's what, uh, at the moment, that's, we already started that last week, actually, uh, doing, you know, one-on-one yeah. presentations. And so we had to close Petrolia in November 30th. So we yeah. need to get that portion of it. And how are you doing that for structure-wise? Are you just doing corporation and people buy shares in that corp? Are you doing it as a joint venture? Are you doing it as a um, limited partnership? How are you structuring it? We are keeping it simple in the way that the company already exists. It's yep. called RMDR Storage. So what we're going to do is we're going to issue preferred shares yep. on, on RMDR Storage, uh, preferred non-voting shares, because make it very simple for the uh, 
for the investors. They don't have to put any any guarantee or anything like that. I mean, we take care of that. Yeah, you already got the financing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just going to purchase, you know, the shares at the share price that we put it until we reach, you know, 450, which is what the first target. Yeah. And then the other 450, we can get it in a corporate loan from the same investors. Like they can come back and say, well, you know, I can lend this money at a percentage, six, 7%, something like that yep. for five years until we refinance. Okay. We wanted to make it simple. Yeah. Yeah. So right now you own a hundred percent of it. Is that correct? And then you're, how much equity are you offering to an investment pool parties to come in? We are offering 23% of our MDR storage, which equates, we made a calculation on the equity, yep. which equates to 450,000. But by the time we factor in the land and, uh, you know, the expansion and all of that, uh, it's going to be a good number down the road in about two or three years, you know, that the equity is going to go kind of high. Yeah. Nice. Wow. That yeah. sounds like an incredible opportunity. And and so, Ruben, if, if somebody is, in, is watching or listening to this and maybe they're interested in, you know, having a call with you, whether it's maybe they have some capital they'd like to put in or maybe they have, uh, you know, an interest in self-storage, where would be some of the places that they could get hold of you? The easiest one is to send me an email at ruben at rmdrglobal.com. Do you have a phone number? And the number is 604-353-7573. So I would imagine here, and I got on the screen for everybody, your website is rmdrglobal.com. And there's a connection there and there's phone numbers and emails and all that kind of wonderful stuff there, isn't there? Yeah. And then we, yeah, we do a, a phone call. You know, I like to find out if there is a fit for the investor and a fit for us. And then we do a one-on-one. I have a kind of very simple slide deck explaining this potential. And yeah, so we'll, you know, we take it from there. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, guys. And I'm just going to, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible, if you will. Audible in football terms is sometimes you call a change of play on the fly. Ruben has this wonderful presentation, like, you know, self-storage 101, where we go into a lot more detail, a lot more images, a lot more pictures, a lot more analysis. And Ruben, would you be open if you and I did like a Zoom webinar where you could share that with uh, people of the community? And if anybody's interested in learning deeper on self-storage, would you be open to doing that? Yes, perfectly. Yeah, yeah I, I would love that. Yeah. Okay. So here's the act, but but guys, I, I we're only going to commit to it if this is of value and of need for you. So guys, if wherever you're listening or watching, put some comment in below. Put a comment in. Would love to know more. Tell me more. We want to learn more about self storage because I tell you, Ruben, some of those numbers that you were just sharing, those are some fun. And I know a couple of them were absolutely just home runs, knock it out of the park, right? But is this something, is self-storage something everybody can do, would you believe? Well, one of the things that we have learned in the industry, because I, I participated in different forums and conferences uh, with actually with the big guys, you know, in, in Canada, Public and U-Haul, and those are pretty big companies, right? They own only thousands and thousands of units, but they actually like to share. That's one of the things that I like on these conferences. I can ask, questions to these guys, you know, that owns this number of units. Uh, but one of the things that we have learned is that not every self-storage project is successful. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put the kind of the uh, incorrect idea that, hey, I just get a plot of land in here and I'm going to put these buildings. You know, you have to do some homework like 
I was explaining briefly demand and location and then the city, you know, permits and all of those things. I mean, we've been in the learning. I mean, we, yep. we are learning every day, you know, not, you know, with every one of these townships, expansions and all of that. Like I learned a lot in the, uh, yep. in the expansion in Plimpton, Wyoming with that building. I mean, many things I didn't know. So that's what it is, is you have to be, you know, follow a system and, uh, you know, certain yep. steps. You know, not well, to- sorry, I, I'm going to pull another question out of the hat here. So if you were to, um, let's just limit it to three, what would you say that three biggest factors for success in self-storage would be? What would you say? I would say the first one, whoever is going to operate a, a self-storage, like, like we are doing, is the education part. The learning of all of this, sometimes it seems little, you know, from the software to the site, to the demand, to all of those things, that is important. And so it starts with oneself, right? I mean, nobody else is going to come and do it. The other one, I would say, is work. It's not passive. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, people might think, and I don't want to send the message that this is passive. This is a business. It's actually a very dynamic business. It's more than than the buildings, right? We get phone calls. We get emails. We get people that want to rent now, and we got to get in touch with the property manager. So it's very dynamic. My wife, Mary Lou, is a huge part of this equation because she handles all of that portion of it, The what we call the property management side in our company. She does all of that. She is in constant, not daily, but very frequent communication with the property managers that we have in Sarnia and in Champlain. So it's, it's dynamic. So it's yeah. not a passive. So the person, I would say, the factor is you have to be willing to be on that dynamic business yeah. at a distance, right? If you are from here. Yeah. So so the first one you, you mentioned was you need to, you know, you need to be educated, like most things in life, right? You need to be well-educated. Number two is that's it comes down to the business operations, right? It comes down to the operator of the business and treat it like it. If you if you have weak systems in your residential property and you have weak systems in your business, it's just going to be probably magnified by 10 once you get into self-storage. Would there be a third one you want to share with us for a success factor? Yeah, the third one I will say and is for my own personal reasons is to have a coach, to have someone that can guide you through the process if you say the first one, like we did, through Guido to that, I mean, there are, you know, there are different ways to do that. But I will say, you know, you got to get someone external as a coach, as a mentor that can guide you through different things, independent if the coach or the mentor is not an expert in self-storage. But I would say that will have some knowledge of real estate, yep. right? And I will also say as the... Uh... I'll echo one thing is that you need a mentor, but at the same time, the student needs to also be a fantastic student. So I'm going to give you an A plus, Ruben, here, by the way. So you've, <laughs> you've just absolutely just crushed this. This has just been fantastic. Thank and, you. you know, as you can tell, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of everything you've ever done. I'm a fan when you touch something and you put your stamp on it. You take the time to sweat the details. Right. Most people, most entrepreneurs are visionaries and they're wheeler dealers and they're just, you know, moving and grooving and shaking. It takes a very special breed of a person to be able to sweat the details, dot the I's, cross the T's and just, you know, just really uh, go through the systems and the process. And I would say that's probably your superpower when it comes down to all of this is your ability to 
manage the process, to build a process and execute against a, a plan. So congratulations, my friend. Yeah, thank you for that. And I, I can add one more maybe, right? Well, look at you, bonus time. <laughs> well, bonus time. I would say just do something. I mean, if someone is listening to this, you know, like you were saying, you know, a 55, well, just do something, take action. I would say a lot of people, they thought that we were crazy when we got into Champlain because that was a, an abandoned property. I mean, really, that's what it was. It, you know, on the presentation, I will show you the pictures of how it was. So we had the courage, I would say the courage to take the action and go there and not be afraid of failing. I didn't know what it would happen. I didn't know that if the people will come in into Champlain and, and rent. I even thought that, you know, we, we discussed it with Mary Lewis. I said, should we change the color of those buildings? Because I thought that the red was like a bad vibe because the property was abandoned. I mean, it was one of those things, right, that you think, right? Uh, but at a certain point, I said, no, no, I'm, we are not going to put money into painting those buildings in a different color. Let's see what happens, right? But once the people started renting and getting, you know, good references from the place, it's working. Yeah. But we were not afraid, I would say. That's the key part, right? Yeah. Not being afraid of doing something and failing. I mean, I would say, what is the... I always ask the question, I say, what is the worst thing that can happen? What can go wrong? If it's something that I can live with, right? Then, okay, let's do it. Yeah. I would say that will be kind of my final. Wow, what, a, what a wonderful <laughs> bonus lesson on how to leave this is the courage to just shoot the puck and just do it. Take yeah. the action. Wow. Yeah. Well done, Ruben. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, okay, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful conversation with Ruben Ugarte. And we have more coming. There's going to be some more self-storage materials to come. And if you guys are interested in having a conversation with Ruben, wherever you're watching or listening, there will be contact information there. Okay, gang, have yourself a wonderful day. Bye for now. All right, so what did you think? Wasn't that a wonderful conversation to have with Ruben? Now, a couple things stood out for me here. The number one thing stood out for me is I loved Ruben's attitude of, you know, when Ruben got started, he was not 22. He was not even 25. He was in, I believe we put it, he was in his 50s when he really started getting going on this and really just started, just getting started. So you know what? The biggest thing I got of that is, man, there's some hope for us people just getting started in our 50s, in our 60s, and moving forward with velocity, and then slowly jumping into the deep end of the pool, taking expertise you have in other disciplines. In this case, Ruben had an engineering degree, taking the analysis expertise that he had and taking that same rigors and that same discipline and that same process, thought process to real estate investing. And he's just done a fantastic job of moving forward. The other thing that really stood out for me in this episode as well was, um, the part about doing the diligence on how do you analyze if there is a need for self-storage. And Ruben did a fantastic job of walking through the thought process and how Canada Post can provide some of that information about houses in an area, the statistics, getting the good coaching, getting the right guidance and leadership from people that have been down this path before him. He just jumped in, but he jumped in with support. 
Okay, Ruben, so well done. And I know for many of you, we talked about potentially hosting a more in-depth training and a webinar. So if you are interested in that, there's only one way to ensure that that will happen is number one is Ruben and I are, are going to make it happen. But number two is I want to make sure that it's going to resonate with you. If this is something that you would like to see more of, if this is something that you want to hear more of, uh, wherever you have either watched it on YouTube or listen to it on this podcast that you're listening to right now, leave a review, leave some feedback, send some information. Because if nobody wants to hear about this, we'll just keep it private, right? And I'll just keep it between Ruben and I. But if you want to hear more about this, if you want to take the next deeper dive into self-storage and finding even more information about it, by all means, please let us know. All right, gang, so I sure hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.